Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Thank you, Lord, tonight for bringing us together once again to study, to uh, sit and at your feet and to learn of you, to soak up the words of life, to, um, to enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to love on one another and to encourage one another and to build one another up in Messiah. Lord, we thank you for uh, this uh, responsibility to pray for one another and to encourage one another and to continue, uh, continue to press in uh, together as families, as uh, communities. Uh, Lord, we know that you have promised that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so for that reason, Lord, uh, Yeshua, we praise you all the more. We thank you that you are the faithful Messiah. You are the one who uh, strengthens us and goes with us daily. Um, continue to strengthen us. Continue to give us a, a, a holy boldness about our, our, our way of life, about our speech, about our convictions. Uh, help us to look for opportunities to share the good news with others. Um, give us um, uh, a sense of of awareness that, that those around us are lost and that they need the good news. They need to know that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. They need to know that you came to reveal your Father's name to uh, your people. They need to know that God loves them and has a plan for them. And that includes giving them the words of life, writing the Torah on their hearts so that they can be pleasing to God. Uh, thank you that you have uh, opened our eyes to truth and that you're continuing to draw us close to you and that you're um, not letting us uh, um, feel like we are abandoned, but that we can uh, rely on you and know that you are a loving Father, uh, protecting us and, and strengthening us. Help us uh, this uh, evening to continue to, um, uh, to understand the words of Galatians. Uh, give us a sense of, of urgency uh, uh, so that we know that these words are for us today. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and all of these things, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for joining me again for another evening of um, studying through the book of Galatians and studying through the commentary that I've written. Uh, my name is Ariel, and I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunuvat in Thornton, Colorado. And I'm coming to you live via Skype for those of you who are with me tonight in the class. For those of you who are interested in um, following along the studies, but you're not able to join each week, 
uh, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, around that time. Um, you're welcome to head on over to my website at www.tetzetora.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And uh, on the homepage, there should be some links near the top. One of them should say uh, Galatians Commentary, or there should be a golden banner along the very top of the website as well that, that mentions the live study details. Click on either one of those links and just follow the information on the page. The, li uh, the notes are there, the commentary is there in PDF format as well as HTML, kind of web page version. And um, there should be information there that should allow you to sign up and join the weekly study. It's free. I don't charge anything. Uh, you just need to have working speakers or a headphone and you need it's it's advisable to have a Skype account but if you don't you can actually use Skype as a guest account as well all right that being said let's get started with the study let's date stamp tonight's study I think we're uh, on week 51 yes this is week 51 today is January the 14th for most of you 2017 we're already in our uh, second week of the new year and uh, let me just check Skype real quick to make sure everyone's okay. It looks like we had a few more people join while I was praying. That's good. Uh, for those of you who are in the live study, I hope you can see my screen. I've got Deuteronomy 6 pulled up, which is the liturgy section we've been using for Chapter 2 while we're in this study. And I think tonight, uh, tonight's verse, which is verse 21, I think we're going to be able to finish the the chapter, at least as far as the, the commentary that I've written. I... Well, maybe I won't finish it. I, I'm trying to remember how long the, the chapter, uh, verse 21 is. Nevertheless, just one word, a uh, quick word real quick, and then I'll read the liturgy. Um, a few of my students requested that I take a little more time to uh, allow for the open forum, the uh, the, the Q&A, the, 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 the chat session that we do afterwards. And this is available, of course, only to those who are with me in the live study. I don't record the chat session, the open form. I don't record that. It does not get uploaded to iTunes in any fashion. So if you want to join me and the other students in engaging in a little bit of uh, open forum chat afterwards, uh, we're going to do that tonight. And, and I've decided to lengthen that. So we're only going to teach for about 45 minutes. And then I will uh, stop and uh, close the commentary and stop the recording. And then we'll just do the open chat for about 45 minutes after that, okay? So I hope that works. Gives everybody a chance to maybe um, have more questions and comments, things like that. Okay, uh, I'm not going to read a lot of the uh, chapter like I did before in Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to jump straight down to verse 20 uh, because of the way it factors into uh, popular Christian theology regards righteousness from the law. And we're going to see how this directly affects our reading and study of the book of Galatians tonight. So, for the English selection, for those of you who are in the class, what you can see is that, once again, I've got BibleHub.com pulled up, and I've got the interlinear going on, so you've got Hebrew right in the middle of some um, other things. But the only two things you really need to focus on are the black Hebrew letters and the red English words, the translation that is directly below the Hebrew. Below that, of course, is the morphology. So what I want you to do is just follow along. I'm going to read the red... English version first, which is kind of a wooden, what I call wooden meaning word for word, sounds kind of backwards, kind of like Yoda's talking, if, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, strong am I, uh, weak are you. It, it puts the verbs in front of the uh, 
and in front of the objects, uh, which is not really the, the kind of the syntax that we're used to hearing when we speak English. But listen to this, and then I'll go back and read the Hebrew. Uh, this way you can kind of see word for word which words match what. Starting in verse 20, uh, this English version, which is no true version, there's no translation of this. This is not ESV or KJV or NESV or anything like that. It's just word for word. Here we go. The English, uh, starting in verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're just going to read through the end of the chapter, reads, When asks your son you, in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments that has commanded the Lord our God? Then you shall say to your son, Slaves we were to Pharaoh in Egypt, and he brought us out, the Lord, of Egypt hand with a mighty, and showed the Lord signs and wonders, great and very, against Egypt on Pharaoh and on all his household before our eyes. And he brought from there to the end that from there he might bring us in to give to us the land that he swore to our fathers and commanded the Lord us to do all statutes these, to fear the Lord our God, for our good to always, that he might preserve us alive, it is day, as at this, and our righteousness it shall be, too, if we observe to observe all commands, these before the Lord our God, as he has commanded. apologize if the screen got cut off a few times. I have to scroll up and down just to see all the words. Okay, let's go back and read just the Hebrew of those same, what, I think, six verses or so. Starting verse 20 again. Uh, here we go. Starting right here for those of you who are with me on the screen, right at the very top there. Ki yishalcha vincha machar limor ma ha'idot v'hachukim v'hamishpatim asher tziva Adonai Elohenu etchem. Verse 21. Verse 22. Give me a moment. Alright. Verse 22. Trying to keep it on the top there for you, scrolling up. Um, and the final verse, uh, I like that nishmor la'asot, because it's literally we observe to observe. It's the same root word. I'm sorry, it's not the same root word. It's two different Hebrew words, but most English translators uh, uh, put it as in, or uh, translate it as in observe to observe, or observe to do, or something like that. But really, literally, it's... Um, Nishmor means kind of to safeguard to do. Lasot means to do. So we got observe to do. Nishmor lasot et chol hamitzvah hazot lifnei Adonai lochinu ka'ashir tzivanu. 
All right, and really it's that verse 25, the one that's it's, uh, kind of the bugbear for uh, Christian commentators who say that the law provides no form of righteousness. But I beg to differ. The law does provide a form of righteousness. We, the, 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 the key is in understanding which type of righteousness it actually provides. Because Moses says it will be our righteousness if we observe to do all the commands. So, obviously, since Moshe's words are the thoughts of God, then God himself must... Uh, conclude that there is a righteousness that he recognizes if a person observes to do all the commands. So we just need to know what type of righteousness to, that God is um, requiring of us there. And we're going to get into that here in a moment. Galatians chapter 2, uh, we're not going to read a lot here. We're just going to do the last three verses of the of the chapter, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21, because we're going to study verse 21 tonight. I'll do the same thing that I did with the Hebrew there. I'll just read the uh, a wooden translation underneath the Greek. And this time the syntax is a little bit, will be a little more uh, clean because of, um, uh, I think, uh, we already know that Hebrew reads right to left. And so there's a lot of um, kind of a, a sense of backwards, uh, backwards reading going on when we're reading it, at least according to the English uh, way that uh, words are written. But with Greek, it's, it reads the same direction as English, so it should sound a little uh, smoother. Let's read the pony again. I indeed through the law to the law died, that to God I might live. Christ I have been crucified with. I live moreover no longer I lives. However, in me Christ that which moreover now I live in the flesh through faith I live that of the Son of God, the one having loved me and having given up himself for me. And then the final verse, verse 21, Not I do set aside the grace of God, if indeed through law righteousness is, then Christ for naught died. And let's go back and read the Greek of just those three verses. Uh, starting in verse, what I say, 19? All right. Starting right there, for those of you who are in the class with me. Uh, the Greek reads, Ego gardia namu namo, apethanon, hina theo zeso. Verse 20, Christo mai, zo de ukati ego ze de in moi, Christos, scroll up, ho de nunzo in sarki in piste, zo te tu huio, tu theu tu agapesantos, me kai paradantas, huitan huper emoi. And in the final verse, verse 21, Uk atheto, ten karntu theu, e gardianamu dikaiusune, ara Christas durian apethanen. All right, uh, so that's our Greek for tonight, and um, let's see if we can get started with the study. Just want to remind everyone who's joined me via Skype, uh, if you are joining via Skype and you're jumping in a little late, uh, which uh, is no problem, um, make sure you got your microphone muted, and if you happen to miss any of the uh, audio in the live class, meaning your computer hiccups or your Skype drops out and you missed what I was saying, uh, remember I'm recording everything I'm teaching, and so I upload it to iTunes about a day or two later, so you can just head on out to my website, datetator.com, click on the Galatians commentary, scroll down through the notes and look for the audio recording link and click on the commentary that you missed. Also, uh, you can head on out to iTunes 
whether you're on a Mac or a PC. Uh, you just have to download the application called iTunes, which is free. Uh, download and install iTunes, and then head on over to iTunes and do kind of a search, like a Google search, as it were, for my name, Hanavi, H-A-N-A-V-I-Y, or if you type in Galatians. I don't think there are too many Galatians commentaries out there on, uh, on iTunes. Aside from the Christian ones, I don't think there are too many Messianic ones, so I'm one of the few. Okay, let's jump into the study tonight. Um, let's see what we got. We left off last week with Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, and so I'll just read the last uh, paragraph of that to get a running start, because there's something that I wanted to mention last week that I didn't about verse 19. Uh, reading in my commentary, we're near the, let's see, we're near the bottom of page 99, and we're going to start right here in this uh, paragraph. This was actually the last few words of verse 19, uh, which I commented on last week. But Paul says he died to Torah. Remember, for through the law he died to the law that I might live unto God. What does he mean by such a statement? Are we to assume that in Yeshua, Paul is now somehow dead to obedience to the law? May it never be. Simply put, uh, Paul now realizes that his new life in the Spirit is a life to be lived without the fear of being condemned as a sinner by the very Torah he previously thought he was upholding. The Torah, as I mentioned last week, has a properly installed built-in function of sentencing sinners to become the object of Hashem's punishment and ultimate rejection, a rejection that will result in death if the person never chooses the Messiah of life. little typo there. Paul is teaching the Galatians that his choice of Yeshua is to be understood as a death of self and the former life that Torah condemned in favor of a new life of serving God through the Spirit, a choice brought on by the revelation of Messiah found within the very pages of the Torah itself. And then this last sentence is where I really make a break from traditional Christian theology on this verse. I say that such freedom in Messiah does not liberate one from obligation to keep Torah as a believer. Rather, such freedom liberates one to be able to actually walk into Torah as a properly assisted, as properly assisted and seen from God's perspective. And the thing I didn't mention last week is that most Christian commentaries say that when Paul died to the law, most of them kind of use the same language that David Stern used, which is Paul died to either the legalistic interpretation of the law, or many commentaries say, and these are Christian ones, say that Paul died to any attempt to try to keep the law for righteousness. You remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.16 about that we're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So most Christians think, at least if I gather their perspective from the commentaries that I read, most Christians think that the Jews of Paul's day were trying to earn justification by keeping the law. And therefore, Paul, when he says, I died to the law, what he's saying is, I died to trying to keep it. I died to uh, trying to earn righteousness through keeping it. Which, again, is, as I can tell, amounts to about the same thing that David Stern was saying in his commentary, which is, I died to its legalistic misunderstanding. But we already talked about how that that's probably not the best way to understand Paul, given what Paul tells us in Romans chapters uh, six, seven, six and seven, really leading into chapter eight. We and we looked at that last week, so go back and listen to that part of the commentary. Let's keep reading now, where Paul talks about um, righteousness through the law. And to be honest, if you really want to get my understanding, which I think uh, has has been built on the research of probably the uh, the better scholarship that we can um, access today. 
this idea of what is the righteousness of the law that Paul was combating in the first century. Go back and read my points, my comments on Galatians 2.16 in this uh, particular commentary. So let's, let's read this. Paul says in verse 2, uh, uh, verse 21, I'm sorry, chapter 221, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, let's read my comments. This is the first time in Galatians that Paul uses the specific noun righteousness. The Greek is dikaiosune. And this it's interesting that this is the first time that he uses it. But as we see, he's going to use this noun again in a nearly identical argument in Galatians 3.21. And uh, we can see from my footnote to 81, um, for Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness, dikaiosune, would indeed be by the law. So we see that the two verses, uh, Galatians 2.21 and Galatians 3.21, are nearly identical to one another. They've got this kind of parallel concept going on. So what is dikaiosune? This courtroom term, as we've found from studying, is related to our familiar verb justify, the dikaiutai, from Galatians 2.16 that we read about earlier. Um, the only difference is that one is a noun and the other is really a verb, but they both convey the same biblical concept. And what is that? It's a status of right standing that God exclusively grants to mankind and it is rooted in God's own righteousness, yet is, as Tim Haig states, it's neither purely forensic, right, that is the salvation kind of righteousness, which Christians might call positional, nor is this righteousness purely experimental, that is the kind that Christians might recognize as behavioral or practical. Rather, when we encounter this idea of right standing from God's perspective, this, or that is God's own righteousness, I think that most commentators, I shouldn't say most, I really should say uh, a few that have begun to recognize uh, both sides of it. It's really both, right? It's really both forensic and behavioral. It's really uh, positional and practical. Uh, it's really... Uh, salvation. It's really justification and sanctification. It's it, it it's really the two sides with one. It's really one coin with two sides. And um, uh, footnote number eighty-two, I believe, points to Tim Higgs' uh, commentary. So let's keep reading my own. What is more, in the forensic sense of this word, remember when you hear the word forensic, uh, we're we're talking about uh, legal, uh, le tied tied to a legal proof, a kind of a. Uh, you know, when the forensics teams go out, they go out to find um, um, a, a, a kind of a, what do we say, a, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the word forensics. I should just look it up in the dictionary. But th what I'm really trying to say is that forensic is akin to salvation when it comes to that, that side of the coin of, of justification. So when you hear the word forensic, just think uh, the kind of the, the, uh, the, the justification side of the house, the salvation side. So in the forensic sense of this word, uh, um, Righteousness is something that we, like Papa Abraham, uh, have we have it now. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, you can compare from Romans 3:22 and 26, as well as Romans 4:3 through 11, and then we're going to get to Galatians 3:6 and 7 here shortly. So we're going to see that Paul is trying to get us to understand that 
justification is not necessarily something that we have to see as a future event, something that awaits a final day of judgment. Rather, it's something that we possess now. Uh, but also, it is something that we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of. And that quote is from Galatians 5.5. 5. So it, there is this, this sense of that it is now, but it is not yet. And that's a term that I um, first encountered when I very first started studying Paul very, very intently. It's this now and not yet idea that we find in Paul. This idea that justification, from Paul's perspective, can include both a now as well as a not yet uh, sense of the word. And the word righteousness, this the Dikaya'o word group, captures that sense because we're talking about God's righteousness. Thus, I go on to say, um, positional righteousness is both now as well as not yet, right? There's a sense that God will, de- God has declared us righteous, God has declared us saved, but there's a sense that we await the final declaration of our righteousness, the final declaration of our justification, of our salvation as well, at the end of days when God uh, presents us uh, brings us to himself and, and presents us uh, with the final declaration. So, moreover, it uh, while this righteousness is indeed true from the Torah's perspective, I'm sorry, while it is indeed true from the Torah's perspective that even mere casual law-keeping results in a limited amount of behavioral righteous, righteousness being extended from God to the commandment keeper, right? There is a limited amount of behavioral righteousness that God extends to the commandment keeper. You can read Leviticus 18.5, and you can read Deuteronomy 6.25. Of course, we just read Deuteronomy 6.25. And Leviticus 18.5 is the famous verse quoted throughout Paul where he says, If a man does these things, he shall live by them. Um, read them again and consider that the righteousness that Moshe is um, extending to the people is essentially the behavioral righteousness that God is already rec- going to recognize if they f- if they walk into Torah, and it's limited amount in the sense that it's 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 extended to covenant members, even uh, natural covenant members, even before they really become saved. That's why I said by that's why I mean by the word limited. I go on to say, however, that I don't believe Paul is wanting his readers to follow that particular train of thought at this time. The idea that. Um, we've got this limited behavioral righteousness that's ours if we simply walk into the Torah. And I don't think that's that's the thrust of Paul's uh, teaching right in this point in the letter. To be sure, I think we need to allow context to determine the best way to understand Paul's intentions. Right? Remember Paul's saying, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, what kind of righteousness does Paul have in mind here in this in the verse 21? Is it the behavioral? Is it the 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 um, salvific kind, it, you know, which which side of the coin is he focusing on? And so I don't think he's focusing on the, the behavioral side, the just the uh, sanctification side right now. I think, as I keep reading, with Ephesians two eight nine in mind, right, and we all know Ephesians two eight nine, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man no one may boast. With Ephesians two eight nine in mind. I think uh, we know that some like to interpret this verse as a generic teaching leveled against works righteousness, where mankind in general might be found trying to gain salvation. You know, that's the forensic righteousness. Man might be trying to gain salvation by doing good works without the law necessarily even being in the picture, yet supposedly being singled out by Paul here in Galatians as a sort of supreme example of, quote, good works that a man could do, end quote. 
right? If you go back and read many commentaries these days, that's essentially what you're going to gather from uh, the book of Galatians uh, on this verse that they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you that Paul had a problem with the Jews in his day trying to keep the law in order to be saved. Therefore, he would certainly have a problem with Jews, uh, with Gentiles also trying to keep the law to be saved. But we've already talked about how that, I think that even though the theology of such a teaching might actually be accurate, meaning it's it's fair to um, to say that that type of theology uh, would be something that Paul would would strongly want his readers to understand, that you can't keep the law to be saved, that you can't do any amount of merit or good works to, to earn salvation. While that's true, I don't think that's really what Paul's trying to explain uh, in this passage. Uh, give me a moment here. I want to see what Skype's trying to say to me. All right, everything looks fine. Um, instead, um, I think there's a better way to understand the passage. But if we were to understand the passage that way, just in, let's just uh, entertain that thought for a moment. Let's just suppose really the, the interpretation and application that we read in traditional Christian commentaries is right on the mark. Let's just say that's really what the Jews of Paul's day were thinking, and that's really what the Gentiles were hoping to attain by keeping the law. In this way, I go on to say in my commentary... In this way, the verse would basically be saying, quote, this is my own paraphrase, right? I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through doing good works, then Christ died for no purpose, end quote. Right? And the theology behind taking law here to mean good works in general would not be incorrect. You agree? In other words, good works do not secure salvation. So if that were the way to interpret the passage... And that is, in fact, the way that most Christian pastors that I've sat under or even researched uh, via the Internet or anything have, have interpreted the passage that Paul is preaching against doing good works in order to leverage salvation. Then Christ died for no purpose if that's your theology. Most Christian pastors are going to teach that. And to be honest, I, I want to be brutally honest with the people who are listening to my commentary tonight. From a practical application perspective where Christians who are not trying to keep Sabbath to be saved, or trying to become circumcised to be saved, or trying to keep kosher to become saved, which would include most Christians that I've encountered, right? Because most Christians aren't really preoccupied with Torah. In that application of this verse, the Christian pastors are really teaching probably the most widely acceptable and necessary form of this verse. Wouldn't you agree? Because most Christians are probably not preoccupied with trying to study and keep the Torah in order to be saved. Most unbelievers aren't either, right? Most general, uh, in general, mankind in general is not preoccupied with trying to uh, comb through the five books of Moses so that he can become saved. And so, in a sense, in, in one sense, the general prevailing popular application of this verse is really right on the mark for the general populace who thinks that uh, good works will save them, that God recognizes and accepts good works and, and, and somehow weighs good works against bad works in order to be saved. In other words, generally speaking, mankind in general thinks that if you do good, then God will let you in, and, and if everything's, you know, if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you'll make it into heaven and blah, blah, blah. So I understand why Christian pastors have to teach that type of message. However, as I keep saying in my commentary, this would not do justice to the historical and religious context of the section that was begun in Galatians 2.15, which is, in my understanding, most definitely 
a carefully reasoned, narrow argument aimed at Jews, the Jews of Paul's day, and their relationship not to your average good works in general, but specifically to the works of the law as Jews by birth. Right? So look at my footnote to number 87, where Paul says in Galatians 2.15, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And then he goes on to say, a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So let's keep reading my commentary. I think it becomes apparent that we um, need to uh, look at the verse in a different light. But before I do that, let's take one more look at what should be a messianic view of the verse, but instead amounts to really the, the, the same essential Christian view of the verse. This is David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible Translation Commentary. His Bible version translates the verse as, quote, we're on the top of page 101, I do not reject God's gracious gift, for if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, then the Messiah's death was pointless. Right? And essentially, I think that's what the Christian commentators have to say as well. Now, again, I say this one more time just to be crystal clear. In my commentary, I say, I believe the theology behind this translation is accurate. That is to say this, listen up. Legalism is not the path to forensic righteousness, right? Doing will not earn salvation. There's nothing you can do in the sense of works that will earn you God's favor from a, from a salvific perspective. You simply cannot work your way to heaven. So any commentary that teaches that, uh, that, that teaches against that theology is in practical measure a good commentary, but it's just not really the historical um, the, uh, the historical occasion for what caused Paul to write what he wrote. So what I say is that um, I, I really don't think Paul is using Torah or law in this manner. I don't think he means legalism here. Although any, and I said this last week or the week before, any approach to God that circumvents the cross is a form of legalism. But the, we have to understand, I think, we have to understand that what the Galatian readers were anticipating, what they were contemplating, the Galatian Christians, those uh, Gentiles who weren't Jews, I think what they were contemplating was not necessarily um, taking on the weight of the Torah to become covenant members. I think we have to understand that they were they were trying to accept Torah, the yoke of Torah, the works of the law, for an entirely different reason. So let's keep reading. To be sure, if sincere law-keeping will not result in salvation the position that historic Christianity takes, how much less will legalistic law-keeping result in salvation, right? You understand what I'm saying there? You have two men, one who says, in my heart, I really love God, and I'm going to keep the law because I really love God, and therefore, um, uh, I believe because God accepts law-keeping, I believe he will, he will accept me. And so you have one man who's kind of genuine, well-meaning in his approach to keeping the law, but then... In other words, he actually does keep the law. He doesn't just keep it from a kind of a cold heart, uh, a kind of a hypocritical, holier-than-thou perspective. He actually does love God, or at least he thinks he loves God. But his sincere law-keeping is not going to save him. So if that's the case, using kind of a call Homer argument, light from heavy, um, if his law-keeping is not going to save him, how much more, or how much less, will the legalist, the person who really doesn't love God but just thinks he's doing God a favor by keeping keeping the law, doing it because he has to do it, not even really that he wants to do it. It's kind of a compulsion. He does it just because it's there. He does it because he feels like it's it's his obligation, albeit a kind of a begrudging obligation. 
you know, oh boy, here I go. I've got to keep the log in because this is what God asks me to do. And I know God's going to save me for it, but I really wish there was a different way kind of attitude, right? In other words, he doesn't even really enjoy keeping the law. He has no love for God or love for God's law. But he thinks, oh, well, at least I'll get saved, right? When I meet God, I'll have, I can complain to God then. But he still thinks he's just going to get in automatically, get into heaven, right? He's going to be saved. That's really legalism. And um, that type of law-keeping, if, if we could even call it that, right? That's not going to save anyone either. So neither one is going to save you. That's really what I'm trying to say in that, in that statement. Really, what I say in my commentary is that the context of this verse, I believe, was established way back in 2.15 and 16 with the phrase, works of the law. And I, I think it's going to be picked up again, the context, at Galatians 2, I'm sorry, at Galatians 3, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 10, where works of law becomes very prominent in Paul's letter again. So I believe law here is kind of a gloss. In other words, it's a, it's a shortened version uh, of works of law. I think it's somehow related to works of law in Galatians as a whole. So Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law. I think what Paul's really saying, for if righteousness were through works of the law. Because already in verse uh, 15 and 16, he says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So he uses the word justify and the word law, right? This dikaiao word group and the word namas. He uses them in close proximity to kind of compare against one another in verse 16. And he does it three times. We find um, a, a cognate of the verb dikaiao three times, and we find the word namas three times used together in verse 16 alone. So I think it's a strong case to be made that verse 21, where he uses the the uh, cognate of the word uh, dikaiao again, which is dikaiusune this time, turns the verb into a noun for the first time in his letter. I think it's it's safe to say that he's probably using the word namos there as kind of shorthand for uh, ergonamu, works of the law. At least that's the way I, I, I see it. So... Um, I believe they're related to one another. The word law here and the word works of law in Galatians as a whole. Um, and I think, let's see how far I want to go. I think I want to stop here where, where, because uh, I'm going to begin a new thought here with this new paragraph. And I think this is a good place to break because I mentioned that we're only going to go for about 45 minutes. So essentially, uh, what I want the students to understand, I'll just say this uh, part last and then I'll close down the commentary for tonight, 45 minutes. I think what I want the students to understand is that from my perspective of studying through the book of Galatians with, for instance, some of the top, uh, from, from some of the leading uh, um, uh, uh, commentators to the book is that the the situation that was facing Paul in his day was not necessarily that the Jews were trying to keep the Torah to become saved. Rather, they were trying to keep the Torah as a means of of maintaining their position as existing covenant members, membership that they earned when they became Jewish or when they were born Jewish. So essentially, Jewish ethnicity or Jewish identity, the, the kind that was legally recognized by the um, the Jewish leaders of Paul's day, this type of membership um, was the, uh, this type of identity, Jewish identity, was what really secured a person's place in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, at least from their perspective. And so as far as we can tell from careful study of the first century, um, the Jews of Paul's day didn't really seek to work their way into covenant membership. In other words, they weren't working their way into salvation the way the Christians are describing it later today. Instead, the Jews believed that they were born saved because of God's gracious election. 
They were basically born covenant members. And in order to maintain one's place in the group, in other words, to, to keep your covenant membership, you had to walk the path of, of the behavior righteousness that Moshe described in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25 that we read about. In a word, you had to keep Torah not to become saved, but you had to keep the Torah to stay saved. You had to keep the Torah to stay uh, to, to remain a good and right standing covenant member. You had to basically um, keep the commandments to, for, to maintenance your covenant membership. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, I think that's a, an extremely important distinction to be made when we're reading through the book of Galatians because if we start with that interpretation, which I think is, is quite sound based on the research that, 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 that I've been going through, uh, and I'm not, I'm not the only one who believes this, by the way. If you, if you start with that approach then you don't really have to come up with some interpretation of Paul trying to teach the Gentiles, or the Jews for that matter, to stop keeping Torah to become saved. You don't have to really think that the Gentiles were trying to keep the Torah in order to become saved. You don't have to think that the Jews were um, had some type of a legalistic approach to Torah in order to become saved. In other words, David Stern's translation and commentary seems to miss the mark a bit, and so does every major Christian translation. They seem to miss the mark a bit as well. And they miss the mark from the historical sociological perspective. They don't really miss the mark from a practical perspective. Everyone, please understand what I'm saying. So, why is why am I even stressing this point? Why does this become extremely important for today's 21st century Torah communities. Here's where I see the import of uh, the way I interpret the book. Essentially, as I move in and amongst Christian circles as a Torah-keeping, believing Jew, as someone who believes that the Torah should be upheld, not disregarded, as someone who believes that, that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to set it on a higher plane, to, but to cause me to see it for all of its beauty, for to cause me to be empowered to walk in it the way that the Father intended for me to walk in it all along. In other words, Messiah came to demonstrate the proper way in which to walk out Torah. And in, sense he doesn't, in that sense, he doesn't destroy the application of Torah the way the uh, Pharisees were destroying it in Paul's day and in Jesus' day. Instead, Yeshua comes to set the Torah free from its, its legalistic shackles, from its, its uh, traditional... Um, prison that it had been shut up under, right? The traditions of men in the first century had imprisoned the Torah underneath the, the, the weighty oral traditions and, and the, 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 uh, the, the, the sayings of the fathers and, and the, uh, the, 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 the Talmuds and, and all, of that, all of that baggage that had been built up around the Torah, kind of like calluses that were, were uh, uh, hiding and restricting the, the, the true meaning of the Torah, the fences upon fences upon fences that the, 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 the halacha of Paul's day and of Jesus' day were, were choking the life out of God's true Torah. You understand what I'm saying? There was this, there were the, you know, the 18 measures that the Pharisees were imposing upon the people. There was the, 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 the oral traditions of the sayings of the fathers, the, the traditions of men that were just uh, really um, obfuscating the issue. They were, they were clouding the issue. They were, they were, it was really confusing the true meaning of the Torah. And Jesus came to, to break and cut through all of that nonsense, all the weeds, to cut them down and to show the people the true and the pure meaning of his father's Torah. And that's the Torah that I follow, at least the Torah that I seek to follow. Wouldn't you want to follow that Torah? That's a good place to say amen. So why do I stress this idea? 
And I'll close with this. I stress this idea because I think the Christian church today sees the Messianic movement, those of us who are embracing the ancient paths, those of us who are returning to the Torah of Moshe. They look at our Torah keeping and the only thing that they can figure is that the reason that we're trying to keep the Torah is because we're trying to be justified by keeping it. See what I mean? They, the only view that they can suppose that we would want to return to keeping the Torah is for some sort of meritorious reward that God is going to grant us if we keep the Torah perfectly or if we even keep it partially. Something to that effect. And so, because it's, it's, it's extremely difficult for your average Christian reader to view the book of Galatians any other way than, than to see that Paul is telling people to stop trying to keep the Torah for, for legalistic purposes or to try to be justified by the law by keeping it or to, to stop trying to earn salvation by keeping the law or to stop trying to um, uh, become justified by becoming perfect or any all of those reasons. The, 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 your average Christian simply cannot understand any other way to approach the book of Galatians. They don't really consider that the, that the Jews of Paul's day were not trying to keep the Torah to become saved, but were possibly instead trying to keep the Torah to maintain a salvation that they thought that they had secured by their Jewish ethnicity. And that the Jewish people who were already born Jewish were trying to extend this Jewish ethnicity, this salvation-based, this, this, this Jewish-based salvation, to the Gentiles who weren't Jewish, and the way that the Gentiles would get it was to become Jewish, right? And so if we approach the Torah, uh, the book of Galatians that way, we kind of set it free from this misinterpretation of trying to keep the law to become saved. See what I mean? Because I'm not trying to keep the law to become saved, and I don't know of any well-meaning uh, messianic who's also trying to keep the law to become saved. And yet, there's, we're still going to have this misunderstanding among uh, our, our Christian uh, counterparts over this issue. So I think it's really, really extremely helpful to approach the book of Galatians from the better historical and sociological perspective uh, that, we're, that I'm trying to teach. And it really kind of starts with our understanding of works of the law. It really does. It's kind of like a key passage, a chair passage. So... That being said, um, I've used up the 45 minutes that I said I would do for tonight's study. Let me go ahead and dismiss us in prayer. And then those of you who are with me in the live study, stay with me for the next 45 minutes or to about uh, the bottom of the next hour. So it's really 40 minutes because I started about five minutes late. Uh, stay with me and uh, this will be kind of open forum time, time to discuss, time to share, time to question. And uh, we'll see what we can get out of that. It will not be recorded, so uh, you don't have to worry. You can speak your mind, all right? Let me close in prayer, and then I'll uh, ask you to open up your microphones. Let's pray. Father, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to sit before the students and to share my thoughts and to to praise your name, and to glory in the name of Messiah, to to lift up his kingdom and to recognize that his kingdom is the only true kingdom in this earth and that he alone will be crowned the victor on that day. He alone is the true Lord and Messiah of Israel and of the world. He alone has the words of life, and he alone is the one that we will follow. Thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us to walk into your ways, that you have placed your Holy Spirit within us, and that you are raising us up as salt, as light, as a message in this dark and evil generation, that you are giving us a holy boldness so that we can preach the gospel unashamed. For we are not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of salvation unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. We thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us, that you have not, that you promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
but that you are uh, embracing us, that you are raising us up, that you are healing us, and that you are bringing us unto yourself. And that one day, Lord, you will present us unto, your, unto yourself spotless. And it is because of your righteousness, not because of things that we can do, not because of our Jewish ethnicity, not because of, of uh, anything that we can muster of, up of on our own, but because of your finished work on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. Give us um, grace as we continue to go through the week. Uh, help us to be strengthened in your words. Help us to continue to study, to press in, and to know you, and to seek your face. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for all of these things. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>